Amen. Thank you. Amen. Thank you, praise team. Excited to continue on in this uh, sermon series. I want to say a new sermon series. It's not new anymore. We're four weeks in. But we're talking about six stories from the Old Testament that you should know and why they matter for us today. Hopefully, we're, this is, like I said, the fourth one in. So hopefully by now you see the point and see uh, how they do apply to us today if you've been coming here regularly. So visitors, obviously, this is your first Sunday. But we've been looking at some of these lesser known stories of the Old Testament. So we're not picking the big ones like Noah's Ark or Moses taking the, the, the Israelites out of Egypt, but lesser known stories uh, and seeing why they're in the scriptures. First uh, Corinthians says that these were written down, these were kept for us on whom the fullness of the ages have come, that we as Christians need these because they're useful in our lives to point us to God, to point us to Christ, and to keep us growing in faith. And today I want to look at a story called, uh, uh, that deals with the widow of Zarephath, Elijah and the widow of Zarephath. And my guess is this is probably even less known than maybe some of the ones that we've heard before. Although, if you grew up in Sunday school again, these might sound a little familiar. And really the point of this section here is to trust God. And really trust, of course, has, <laughs> is something that God's people are called to do, not just for 3,000 years ago, but still today. We trust God. In fact, trust, faith, belief, those are all synonyms that we are called to trust God even when it's hard. To trust God and His Word and what He's revealed to us in His Word. And that's true, friends, of how we come to faith to begin with. Uh, when we come, become a Christian, what are we doing? We're trusting God. We're saying, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with my with, with, with your, my need of forgiveness and grace and mercy through your son, Jesus Christ, I entrust my eternity to you. I don't know what happens after death. I haven't seen it with my own eyes, but I'm trusting you with my entire future for all eternity. I'm trusting you. And not only as Christians when we first become Christians, but daily, friends. We're obviously given opportunities regularly to either trust God or to trust the way of the world, the wisdom of this world, what maybe some people are speaking into in our lives, what we're hearing on television or whatever it may be, reading on the internet, trusting this, the way of this world, the world, the flesh, and the devil, or to trust God. It's an ongoing thing. Do we trust Him and His Word? Well, we see in Scripture multiple examples where people are presented with an opportunity to either trust God or not. And one great thing about the Scriptures is we're given multiple examples of people who either fail or succeed. So there are people in Scripture who are called to trust God and they fail miserably, horribly. Um, and yet God still in mercy, in His mercy and grace, can still restore them. I think of Peter after denying the Lord three times. But we are given some good examples of those who actually did trust God in a very difficult situation and God rewards them. So look with me. We're going to look at 1 Kings 17, 8-16. to 1 Kings chapter 17, and this will be um, on the screen as well. We're talking about the prophet Elijah. Uh, he was sort of a bit of a, a radical prophet. He lived out in the wilderness for a good portion of his life. Uh, he dressed in camel's hair with a leather belt around his waist. In fact, that should sound familiar. John the Baptist kind of followed in the tradition of Elijah. He's a bit of a, a wild man, but a prophet who spoke for the Lord. In 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 8 to 16, we read this. Then the word of the Lord came to him, meaning Elijah. Arise, go to Zarephath, 
which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Behold, I have commanded a widow there to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. And when he came to the gate of the city, behold, a widow was there gathering sticks. And he called to her and said, Bring me a little water in a vessel that I may drink. And as she was going to bring it, he called to her and said, Bring me a morsel of bread in your hand. And she said, As the Lord your God lives, I have nothing baked, only a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. And now I am gathering a couple of sticks that I may go in and prepare it for myself and my son, that we may eat it and die. And Elijah said to her, Do not fear. Go and do as you have said, but first make me a little cake of it and bring it to me. And afterward, make something for yourself and your son. For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, The jar of flour shall not be spent, and the jug of oil shall not be empty, until the day that the Lord sends rain upon the earth. And she went and did as Elijah said. And she and he and her household ate for many days. The jar of flour was not spent, neither did the jug of oil become empty, according to the word of the Lord that he spoke by Elijah. God rewards trust in him and his word. There's an outline in your bulletin if you'd like to see where we're going or take notes. But first, that God gives us his word to know his will. So in order to trust God, we've got to know what God actually is calling us to do. Well, how do we know what God is calling us to do? We know it because he's given us his word. Look with me at 17 verse 8. It says, The word of the Lord came to Elijah. And that phrase, the word of the Lord, is a pretty common one in Scripture. Uh, Anytime a prophet receives a direct revelation from God that he's called to then speak forward to the people, it says the word of the Lord came to him. In fact, this idea, the word of the Lord, has become so common in the Old Testament, it's almost personified. It almost becomes a a thing in and of itself. Uh, The word of the Lord, the revelation of God. God speaking to his people, carrying them towards his will. In fact, it's so personified that when we get to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, verse 1, it says that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And I think the reference there is to this very thing. That Word that God reveals himself with throughout the whole of the Old Testament, through centuries and centuries with Israel, that Word literally took on flesh and became the person of Jesus Christ. (laughs) He is God's self-revelation to us. He's God's revealing himself to us. But before Jesus was incarnate, before he took on the flesh, we see things like this happen. The word of the Lord comes to someone, and this time to Elijah. It's not uncommon for Elijah. He was somebody who spoke on behalf of the Lord. And God says, verse 9, Arise and go to Zarephath, which belongs to Sidon, and dwell there. Now the interesting thing about that is, uh, Zarephath is just a small little town, but it's outside of the borders of Israel. So most of Elijah's ministry, he's, he's Jewish, he's ministers in Israel, most of his ministry is to Israel. So, but now he's called to go across the border into, really, enemy territory. A Sidon was not on friendly terms with Israel through most of its history. They were considered the enemies of Israel. Now, this is important for at least two reasons. Number one, because God is at work beyond merely Israel and is the Lord of all the nations. 
So, yes, God chose a people specifically for himself for centuries and centuries. We read about it in the Old Testament. Israel are the people of God. But God again and again shows that he's not limited to one nation. He's still sovereign over all the nations. So even when, when Solomon built the temple right there in Jerusalem, what did he say? Heaven is your throne, O God, and the earth is your footstool. What kind of house will I build for you? Uh, actually, this story comes up once in the New Testament. Only once, I believe. And the one time it comes up in the New Testament is through the mouth of Jesus, in which he's making this very point. He says, there were plenty of widows in Israel that Elijah could have gone to, but God sends him to Zarephath, outside of the border of Israel. Why? Because God is eventually going to bring this good news of the gospel to all nations and bring people all over the world to himself. That's the first reason. The second reason why it's important is... uh, Elijah has caused this famine, or has prayed for this famine, because Israel has turned wicked, particularly in relation to their king, Ahab. Uh, Ahab was not a good king. He was one of the worst kings, really, of Israel's history. And he married a woman named Jezebel. Uh, That may ring a bell, because we use the name Jezebel to refer to sort of a wicked person today, a wicked female today. Uh, But this is the original Jezebel. She is leading the people of Israel into Baal worship. She's leading them away from the worship of the one true and living God, referred to as Yahweh, and leading them to worship Baal. Well, guess where Jezebel is from? She is a Sidonian. She's from Sidon. So here's Elijah going into, in a sense, her territory, Baal territory, this foreign god territory, and God is demonstrating his power and his might right there in enemy territory. It's kind of like the Jets coming into Gillette Stadium <laughs> and on, on the AFC Championship and beating the Patriots, best team in the league for many, many years, on their own territory, right? I mean, that's a, that would be a newsworthy event. Uh, here's what's happening right here. She, Elijah's going into enemy territory, Baal territory, Jezebel territory, and that's where God shows his mercy and his work. But friends, in the same sense as we could say today, God still speaks to us through his word. God still speaks to us through his word. Now you might say, well, I mean, we don't receive in the same way that Elijah did. We don't receive this sort of direct revelation from God. Uh, this direct prophetic word that's authoritative so clearly. And we could debate how God works in that specific way. But friends, keep in mind, we have something perhaps even far better than that. We have the scriptures written down for us, which is authoritative for us today. Think about that. I mean, what would you rather have? Every so often, God will speak to you directly and give you a direct, perhaps audible, I don't know how this exactly worked, we don't know. Uh, Sometimes it was a vision or a dream, sometimes it was perhaps an audible voice. Would you rather have that from time to time, or to have a whole book full of his word that we could turn to at any point in time, (laughs) 24-7, to know God, and to know His Word. Now, yes, God does still speak to us, I think, subjectively. Don't get me wrong. I'm not saying He doesn't still lead us. Uh, And even with Elijah, as he weighs the Word of the Lord that he receives, he tests it by the Torah, by the first five books of the Bible. So if he receives what he believes to be a word from God, and that word does not line up with the, with the Torah, uh, he can dismiss it and go back to bed, because that word doesn't count. Uh, God never contradicts himself. In the same way, I would say for us today, if you believe God is leading you to a specific direction, you are hearing from God, but it doesn't line up with the Bible, 
Go with the Bible. 100% of the time. All right? The Bible, God never contradicts himself. This is his written word accepted by his people for 2,000 years across the globe. We go with the scriptures. But yes, God still does lead us by his spirit. And he does give direction to us. But that's always weighed by the word. One story I like that brings this out really well is of the great uh, evangelist George Whitfield. Uh, perhaps one of the greatest evangelists in all of history. Uh, he was the one who really was used by God for the first great awakening. Uh, he preached in open air. He sort of started the whole open air preaching because he was kicked out of every church basically in England. Uh, so he went to, uh, to the open air, preached to the miners, and thousands upon thousands of people would come out to hear him preach. And people would, through tears, come to repentance and faith. In him. And he came to the United States, uh, would preach here, and tens of thousands would come to hear him preach. Actually, the largest gatherings in the history of America up to that point in time, in the 1700s, came to hear George Whitfield preach, including, including his good friend Benjamin Franklin. Well, Whitfield was used by God in a mighty way, and he believed in, earlier on in his ministry that God spoke to him directly, uh, and that when God spoke to him directly, that was authoritative. Until one event happened that changed his mind. He, was, he had gave birth to a son, and his wife gave birth to a son. And as, a, as that little boy, he believed he received a direct word from God that this child would be the next great preacher, the next great evangelist. And he believed that God had spoken to him and that this was authoritative. It was going to happen. Well, the child tragically died in infancy. And Whitfield said, I have been disciplined by the Lord to be far more cautious about knowing his, word, knowing his will without base, basing it squarely on his word. So yes, God does lead us. We come back to the scriptures. We come to know him through the scriptures, through his word. Well, you might say, Rick, if, that's, if it's that easy, <laughs> I mean, everybody should know God. Every Christian should know God's will. I mean, it should be pretty crystal clear, right? We, we have the scriptures. Why don't we just follow what it says, and then everybody knows what God wants. Well, there's a few reasons why that doesn't work so easily for us. Let me give you three. One is the issue of ignorance. Ignorance. And I don't mean that in a particularly negative way. I just mean a lack of knowledge. Uh, we don't always know God's word. <laughs> so if you don't have it in your mind, you don't have it in your heart, you, you haven't been reading it, studying it, you haven't come to grasp what the scriptures say, then it's hard to obey it. It's hard to follow it. And I think, I think it's fair to say that American Christianity, um, perhaps biblical Literacy or biblical knowledge, understanding of the scriptures is maybe at an all-time low. Uh, listen to this. Uh, a Barna poll, he's a big pollster, said that about 12% of adults believe that Joan of Arc was Noah's wife. So you got Noah's Ark, Joan of Arc, right? That's his wife. 12% of adults believe that. Another survey of graduating high school seniors revealed that over 50% thought that Sodom and Gomorrah were husband and wife. Right? Here we go. Sodom and Gomorrah. A considerable number of respondents to one poll indicated that the Sermon on the Mount was preached by Billy Graham. Sorry, but Jesus had it a few uh, thousand years before, before Billy Graham. Uh, so first of all, you've got to know it. <laughs> if you want to know God's will, you want to trust Him at His word, then you've got to know His word. Bring it into your heart. Second thing I would say is, we doubt it. Sometimes it's not an issue of knowledge. It's an issue of trust. Again, do, do I, this is what God says. I, I, I believe you, but I, can I really trust him at his word? And this is, friends, a, a process as Christians that we continually go through. Uh, we know what God says. We study it in his word. We hear it together. Uh, we wrestle with it. But do I really trust him? 
This is where I think a church family, a church body is very helpful. You're, you're weighing what he says in his word. You're talking to other Christians, perhaps more mature Christians, people who have walked with the Lord longer. And you're saying, here's the situation. Here's what I think God's word says. What do you, what do you, weigh, what do you make of the situation? And some outside counsel and wisdom can be very helpful. And the third reason why it's not so easy is because we're still sinners. It's not just doubt. It's a lack of trust. It's a, it's a looking at temptation and saying, I think I would rather have that. <laughs> I know what God's word says about substance abuse. I know what it says about this, but I really want that drink. <laughs> I know what it says about sexuality and all that, but here's what I really want. And I'm going to choose that because I want the immediate pleasure and joy of having what I want right now rather than following God. So it's not a question of ignorance. It's not even necessarily a question of doubt. You, you know what his word says, but we're still tempted by sin. I, I can't tell you the number of conversations I'll have with someone who says, I believe God wants me to do such and such. You say, well, his word says that he doesn't. Yeah, but this is what I think he wants. This is what I want. This is what, this is what makes me happy. So I'm going to go and do this. Uh, it's not a question of knowledge. It's a question of a love of sin over God. To trust Him is to know His Word, to not doubt it, and to seek His will over our temptation to walk with Him. And we need His grace in Christ to do that, don't we? Friends, He gives us His Word to know His will, but He calls us to then minister to others. Look at verse 10. Like what the story goes here. What does God say? Go to this widow to feed you. So he arose and went to Zarephath. He obeys what God says outside of Israel. When he comes to the gate of the city, there's a widow out there gathering sticks. And I love that because you might say, which widow? How am I supposed to know, God, where, you, who, where you're calling me to, to, to meet? I mean, I, you want me to step out in faith? There's probably a hundred widows in Zarephath. How am I supposed to know which one you want me to meet with? Well, God makes it pretty clear. He's approaching the city, and there's a widow standing on the outside of the gate. Uh, sometimes God makes things pretty clear. Just step out in faith, follow him on what he's called you to do, and he'll make clear what he's doing, where he's calling you, what he's leading you to. And she's out there gathering sticks. And I think it's very appropriate, important that he calls uh, Elijah to a widow of all people. Because God has a special place in his heart for widows. And we see that all over scripture. Uh, for the widows and for the fatherless. God has a special love and compassion for them. And a widow in that culture in particular would be in great need. This is before welfare, before Social Security, before Medicaid, uh, before retirement plans. Uh, widows basically did whatever they could do work-wise to gain a little bit of food and then depended upon the generosity of others. And yet God calls Elijah specifically to this widow. And she's more than just a widow, actually. She's a single mom. If you have in your mind that this is an older widow, no, we actually learn she's got a young Son, She's in great need. And yet, so God calls Elijah to go and minister to her, to help her. He approaches her and he says to her, this is what God calls him to do, verse 10, bring me a little water in a vessel that I could drink it. So remember, this is a time of a great famine. There's not much water. Uh, this, is, this is a pretty big request, but verse 11, as she's going to bring it. So she just goes and does it. Okay, you want some water? I'm willing to help you. I think God called, her to this, called him to this specific widow because he knows that she's already being brought uh, into a relationship with God. We'll see more of that in just a bit. She goes to bring it, and then he says, oh, one more thing. <laughs> uh, not just some water, but some bread. Uh, now, that's an even harder 
request to fulfill. Uh, it's one thing to say, okay, I just need a little bit of water. Maybe she's got a little bit of water. But, the, but grain at the, during a famine is of particular difficulty. And now he's asking her for bread. We'll see how that turns out in just a minute. But look at how he's calling, her, calling Elijah to minister to others. One thing we know about God's will is he calls us to connect with other people. Uh, this is actually a, uh, an honor uh, for, her, for, for Elijah to go and ask a favor of her. Uh, maybe this is something that's kind of been turned upside down in our culture. Uh, but to go and to come under somebody's roof or to go and ask a request of somebody, especially a prominent man of God, a prominent prophet of God like this, would be considered a great honor, even though it's a huge difficulty for her. And of course, God knows what he's going to do. He's going to provide for her through this. He's going to provide for her food and more than that, as we'll see uh, later on. So God brings Elijah to her. Friends, what is God's will? One thing we know is he's calling you to minister to others. Uh, one of the most important places to be as a Christian is with other Christians. In fact, I would say as a young Christian, if you're a new Christian, you've come to faith recently or you're starting to take your faith more seriously, this is perhaps one of the most important places to be. Get connected to other Christians. In fact, in Scripture, to be outside of the influence of a local church, to have no local church, to be a sort of Christian out there just hanging, uh, is considered to be in Satan's territory. That's what it's called. To be handed over to Satan, to be kicked out of the churches, to be in Satan's world. To be connected to Christians is where you're going to flourish and grow and mature. Something I love about Billy Graham, remember his great crusades? Uh, People thought, well, it's great. People go down and they pray to receive Christ as their Savior. People don't realize is the aftercare program that Billy Graham had. One of the things he always wanted to do in every city is to get churches connected to those who recently made a decision to follow Christ so that they have the next step to get involved into a church. We're called to minister to one another. Uh, Christianity is not just a a philosophy. It's not just a religion, uh, not just a set of doctrines. I think there there are many... um, Many religions that primarily it's a philosophy. It's coming to certain understandings of how something works. Christianity is more than that. It's a relationship with God and then to be brought in with his people. I think it's interesting. You you hear these stories about um, how God is reaching the Muslim world through dreams. I don't know if anyone's heard that before. But this isn't just like a one or two sort of random story situation. There's multiple accounts of those who are doing mission work in uh, Muslim countries saying God is using dreams, visions, to bring people to faith. Uh, this is it's pretty well documented. You should, you should research it if you haven't. It's pretty neat. But one of the things that has been pretty consistent about these visions and these dreams is that when somebody receives this word from the Lord, when somebody receives this vision, almost always the vision calls them to go meet up with other Christians. <laughs> it calls them not to just then believe in Jesus and, and go from there, but calls them to a certain church or to meet a certain person, calls them to connect with other Christians, which I think is extremely important. We see this in Paul himself. When he first came to faith on the road to Damascus, what does God call him to do? Go and see Ananias. Get immediately connected to another believer where you're going to flourish and to grow. I think it's a serious issue, friends, if you're a Christian and you're not connected to any church and you're just sort of out there. There are times which we go through that when you move to a new city and so forth. But friends, we get connected. We minister to others. And not just, friends, to other believers, but we're called to be out there in our community. Uh, Notice, he is connecting Elijah to perhaps the poorest of the poor or the most needy. Uh, 
a widow, single mom, during a famine. Now, this, is, this is a dire and essential time in her life. I mean, this is life or death. And God calls Elijah to go and to meet her. Um, I love the fact that we're connected with ministries like the Pregnancy Care Center. Um, I've been asked to do a little devotional with them, and that's one of the ministries that, that I'm, I'm really excited that our church is, is getting a closer relationship with. I talk about reaching out to the single moms, to the fatherless uh, in, in our own city and helping them. Uh, grateful for God's grace there. New Brothers Fellowship. Uh, we just had our prayer time last Thursday that was uh, led by Doug Reagan and our own Frank Maynard, a member here, uh, just praying for this prison ministry, uh, that God would use it, knowing that if they weren't here, there'd be a major absence, of a black hole, uh, really, right here in our city. If somebody was going into prisons, into perhaps the darkest of places, and reaching people with the good news of Christ. And God's doing some amazing things there and in the aftercare program of connecting guys and men and women who have come out of prison or who are family members of those who are in prison and getting them connected to other people, ministering to them. So, friends, what God calls us to do is not just to look within, but to look outward, <laughs> to kind of change our stance, not just looking at each other and ministering to one another, but looking to our city, looking to people like the widow of Zarephath, whom we can reach out to, whom we can reach with the good news. Notice what he calls her to do, verse 12, perhaps the heart of this section of Scripture. He says to her, excuse me, she says to him in response to his request for bread, as the Lord your God lives, which I think is important because she knows who Elijah is. Uh, She recognizes him. He was a pretty recognizable figure, the way he dressed, the way he acted. He was a pretty big name because he's the one who confronted the king and Jezebel and really brought upon this famine. So she knows this is a prophet who's come to here. Uh, Remember, she's in Baal country, so she doesn't worship the same God. But something's happening in her life. She's being brought, she says, as the Lord your God lives, knowing that the God of Israel lives. (laughs) He's in control. He's the one who brought this famine, that there is something to your God. Uh, Maybe Baal isn't so powerful. Maybe Baal doesn't even exist. But your God certainly lives. As your God lives, she says, I have nothing baked but a handful of flour in a jar and a little oil in a jug. That's all I have left from this famine. In fact, the reason why I'm out here gathering sticks is to make my last oven fire. To bake a little cake of bread for my son and I. And then we die. She's come to her end. And Elijah says, verse 13, this is the shocking part of of this story, don't fear, go make the bread, go make the cake just like you said, and give it to me. (laughs) Can you imagine that? Or give at least a portion, the first portion to me, and then feed your wife and your son. I think this would be harder for Elijah than the widow. I mean, how, how do you make that request of someone? You can imagine, if I was her, I would say, come here for a second, Elijah. Let me punch you in the gut because you're out of your mind. Did you not hear what I just said? This is it. I don't have anything left. I have a son. You haven't met him yet. He's a little kid. And we're going to eat our last meal and die. And you're asking me to now feed you first? Uh, You can imagine her response could have, what her response could have been. It could have been, first of all, go find someone who's not a widow. All right? Go find a family that maybe has a, a few you know, more jugs left of, of oil and of flour. Why are you coming to me? Or even better, go back to Israel. What are you coming here for anyway? This isn't even your country. You're a foreigner here. You're the one who's responsible for this famine to begin with, why we're going to starve to death. Go home. Go find someone there and ask them. Uh, 
She's come to her end, and yet God calls her to step out in faith in a unique way and to trust him. See, if she had an abundance of of flour and oil, then this really wouldn't be that big of a deal, would it? (laughs) It's that this is her last bit. And God calls her to step out in faith. Friends, he does the same for us, doesn't he? Oftentimes. He calls us to trust him with that last bit. He calls us to trust him when sometimes when it comes to relationships. Lord, I know your word would have us break break off this relationship. I know he's not the right guy for me. She's not the right girl for me. This is not a healthy relationship or this friendship. We're spending a lot of time together. My best friend, but he's he's not a Christian and and he's dragging me down. And I know it's hard because I take so much comfort and joy in this relationship, but I know what you want for me to do. You want me to break off and keep walking with you. God, I know you, you want me to give generously. I know you want me to tithe. I know that's what your word tells us to do. We just went through that season of, of stewardship. You know how tight my finances are. You know how difficult this is, but this is what you really want me to do? Now, those who were visiting here, we went through a time of stewardship and uh, just looking at the scriptures and calling us to faithfulness and giving. And you can see it from the bulletin. Our congregation responded amazingly. And not only did the congregation that you guys respond amazingly, but the Lord really blessed it. Uh, it's almost as if he was waiting for us to, to take that sort of step of faith. And then he just sort of opened some floodgates. All these other checks came in from different uh, directions. Like, for example, our, our cell tower money back you know, back uh, real estate taxes came in and some other stuff. And the Lord just sort of opened the floodgates when we trusted him in this area. Lord, I, I, know, I know I've never been on a mission trip, but I, I think this is what you want me to do. And I'm scared to death. <laughs> Help me to step out in faith and do it. Uh, I remember the, the first time I went uh, on a, a mission trip, I went, you know, was it five, six years ago to Nepal. Uh, up to that point in time, I didn't have life insurance. I always thought, you know what, I'm young, I'm not going to die, everything's fine. One of the first things I did when I got back from that mission trip was get life insurance. (laughs) Because life and death became very clearly evident. You know, this crazy life that Jesus calls us to may not end with a long retirement, okay? This, This may end in a different direction, and it's time to make sure my family is provided for if it goes in that direction. I don't know what God's will is. He calls us to do hard things. Sometimes he calls us... To step out in faith and to trust him. Not knowing what's on the other side. Just doing what he wants me to do now. This is what we tell, we tell those who are struggling with addictions. But it's really a word for all of us. When you look at it you say. Alright we want you to go one month sober. And someone says I can't do that. I've never gone a month sober in the last 20 years. Okay. Don't worry about a month. I want you to go today sober. Maybe you'll have a beer tomorrow. And then tomorrow comes, and you say, I want to go today sober. Maybe I'll have a beer tomorrow. And it goes day after day, and then you look back and say, 30 days have passed. Uh, Sometimes following God is like that. The idea of following God to wherever, to the ends of the earth, and I, I can't do that, but I can try to do what He's calling me to do today. What do you want from me today, Lord? Help me to follow you, to step out in faith, to do the things I need to do today to follow you. And I'll trust you with the next step when I get there. And to follow you and to follow, as the widow does here. All right, Lord. 
I think this is what you are calling me today. As he says here, um, do not fear. It's the Lord who's going to provide after you do this. Uh, You're doing this because you're trusting God and what he's going to do through this. What does God do? Verses 15 to 16, he does what is impossible for us. Does what is impossible for us. She went and did as Elijah said. She makes the cake, gives it to him, feeds her household, and the Lord provides so that the jar of flour is not spent. Verse 16, and the jug of oil never becomes empty according to the word of the Lord. God works a miracle. (laughs) I don't know how this miracle worked. It certainly reminds you of some of Jesus' miracles, the feeding of the 5,000, the feeding of the 4,000. He can take little and make much of it. Uh, here's my guess. Okay, so this is, this, is, this is just my guess. She took what little she had here. So she had her, a little bit of flour. She had her little bit of oil. She mixed it together. She baked it together. Made enough bread for that day. They sat. They ate together. Fed Elijah. She ate. Her son ate. Went to bed with two empty jars. And when she woke up in the morning, she saw an oil filled back up and a jar filled back up with flour. And she did it again and again and again. That God provided her her daily bread until the famine comes to an, end, to an end. Enough bread for them to survive. And not only does she get, you know what she gets out of this, uh, is not just food, but she gets a father figure for her son. Now, I'm getting, getting the impression that Elijah's a bit older. She's a young widow. Remember, I don't think there's any romantic relationship going in here. But Elijah goes and actually moves in and takes a room in her house and becomes... Uh, sort of a male protection for that home and a father figure to this boy. And if you read the next section, a tragedy happens to the boy and Elijah steps in to help him. So out of this, God provides not just food, but other provisions that she needs. Uh, God works a miracle. Friends, you might say, well, I mean, that was back then. Does God still work miracles today? I mean, how come we don't see this happening now? I mean, Rick, go ahead and put on a little show here and show us how this works. No, it doesn't work like that, right? Here's what I would say. I've heard it said, and I think it's true, that miracles happen far more infrequently than you think in the Bible. So we have times where, especially in the life of Jesus, where there are multiple miracles. There's a sort of conglomeration of God doing supernatural things because Jesus is on the stage of history now. And you have pockets in the Old Testament, like with Elijah, in which God does something miraculous. But actually, centuries and centuries go by where there's nothing but really the preaching of the word, repentance and faith, which is a miracle in itself, but isn't breaking the laws of nature as we see them. So the Bible is perhaps filled with far fewer miracles than you think, and that there are probably far more miracles happening today than you realize. (laughs) So I think that what you have is we overemphasize how many miracles are in the Bible. There aren't as many as you perhaps might consider. And we underestimate the number of miracles that God is doing around the world through his people right now. And friends, I've seen them. I've seen God do miraculous things again and again. Uh, Sometimes God does break the laws of nature. That's, That's one sort of very narrow definition of a miracle. Will God at times break the laws of nature to reveal himself and to provide for us? Uh, and I've seen certain things like that happen. I mean, I've, if some perhaps firsthand, others, the accounts from people that I have no reason to doubt, God doing some pretty miraculous things. But sometimes God works and provides for us in ways that aren't so miraculous in a sense in that narrow definition. 
Uh, God speaks to us. He provides for us. He protects us. I'll just give you one example. I remember I was driving through Bradford one day, busy road. I think it was like, you know, after school. And as I'm driving along, I get this uh, feeling, this intense feeling to be cautious as I drive. So, all right, whatever. So I grab the wheel with both hands. I'm looking around. Okay, I don't know what this is about. Traffic's going. Not a minute later, a kid dashes in front of my car. Uh, and I stopped, obviously. Now, you could say, well, there's no miracle there, Rick. Nothing broke the laws of physics, right? You had a feeling. The car, you hit the brakes. God used the brakes of the car to stop the vehicle and make sure the kid was okay. And, uh, but yes, God is at work, and he's providing for his people. He's protecting his people. God does what is impossible for us when we trust him at his word. And friends, he's always calling us to trust him. Again, if I would say, if you're here, you're not a believer in Jesus. Maybe you're still seeking. First, again, I'm just so glad you're here, if that's your situation. Uh, we don't want just uh, this church to be filled with only people who all believe in Jesus. We want to have it, our doors open to those who are seeking to understand Jesus more. If that's you, I think this is the ultimate calling of trust. Do you trust God with your eternity? Do you trust God not only with your life in this world, but with your eternal salvation? Are you trusting that He is truly who He says He is, and He is truly Lord? Are you trusting Him with your life and with your death? Uh, I mentioned in the prayer earlier, I just did a funeral yesterday for a 65-year-old sister in Christ, uh, Debbie Jones. Uh, Well, we did the committal service. Uh, Here's here's someone who did not know that that day was coming. Um, it, It came tragically, it came Suddenly it came with a fall. And yet, in God's grace and mercy, her heart, her mind, her soul was ready because her faith was not in her own goodness and good works, but in the Lord Jesus. To take comfort in the family, to have the family take comfort in knowing that she is with her Lord. But if you're a Christian, again, as I said earlier, God regularly calls us to trust Him. This isn't a one-and-done type of thing. Uh, daily, perhaps, there are small examples, small uh, things that happen to us where God is calling us to step out in faith and to follow Him. The world's telling us one thing, calling us in one direction. Uh, perhaps our temptation is pulling us in one direction. And the real question is, do we trust God? Do we trust Him at His Word? Do we trust His wisdom? And are we willing to step out in faith and to follow Him? God rewards trust in him and his word. Now, for uh, farmers in the desert area of Israel, uh, life could be really hard. (laughs) Because one of the things that happened is you had only so much seed, only so much grain by the end of the year. It had to last you for the year. Uh, And actually, it had to last you beyond the year. Because as you are sort of uh, collecting the grain in the harvest, this is what you have for your family and your friends and everyone for that year. But you've got to make sure at the end of the year that you still have a good bag of seed left. And sometimes, especially during a famine or a drought, things got really close. <laughs> Perhaps there were days in which you had that last bag of seed and no food on the table. And the temptation would be, let's just cut open that bag of seed and make some bread because we're all starving. But you know, if you do that, you have nothing left to plant for the next year. Can you imagine having to look at your hungry kids knowing that you have a bag of perfectly good grain that you can't cut open? But what God calls you to do as a farmer in that day is to wait and trust Him and to take that seed and literally bury it in the ground with your hungry kids looking on. 
trusting that in the spring, he'll bring a harvest. God rewards those who, like that, friends, are called to trust him. Pray with me. Father, we are grateful for the scriptures, grateful that we're reading a, a, a story that's been around for 3,500 years. <laughs> Lord, we're, re- we're grateful that we're reading a story that has been read through Christian, for, by Christians throughout the world through the centuries and still makes its same point to us today who follow Jesus, that you call us to trust you. Not a blind trust, a trust in line with the word of the Lord. A trust that comes in line with the fact that the Lord our God lives and has demonstrated his faithfulness to us again and again. So Lord, perhaps there's something, I don't know uh, what you're doing, but in our congregation, someone, uh, each of us, Lord, have uh, received your word and perhaps there's some area of our life you're convicting us of or encouraging us towards equipping us towards, preparing us perhaps for the future. Help us to trust you. And Lord, I especially pray for anyone who is wrestling with faith in Jesus to begin with. Make yourself clear to them, Lord. Show yourself to them as someone who is really trustworthy, that we can put our lives in your hands. We can bury them in the Lord our God and trust that the harvest will come on the other end. Thank you for this time of worship, Lord. Continue to reveal yourself to us. Continue to bless us as a church to follow you, to trust you. You've been faithful to us for so long, and we look forward to the next 253 years of what you're going to do or the day when Christ returns. And we look forward to that day, Lord, with eager anticipation. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. We're going to ask that stand.